one of the easiest ways actually, and the fastest ways to start earning money as a blogger when you're first starting out is to work with brands. So I don't want to completely discount that, um, that option. That is my friend, Alex. She is with travelfashiongirl.com. And it is one of the most popular, if not the most popular travel fashion blog for females. And when I first met Alex, I was like, how do you make money? And she was like, oh, buy traffic to my site. And I'm like, okay, but how do you make money? And she told me she doesn't work with brands and she doesn't do sponsored posts. She said, I used to, but I don't do that anymore. It takes too much time and I make more money just by getting all this traffic to my site. And I'm like, you need to explain more because I don't understand. And that's exactly what she is going to do in this episode. She has built her brand from something that she did as a passion. She loved to travel the world and she was just kind of helping people out with her blog. And it has grown into something that is so big. So I know there's tons of podcasts. There's tons of blogs. There's tons of YouTube channels. They all teach you about blogging. But I am only bringing the best of the best on this show for you to learn from. Alex gets a million visitors a month to her blog. And that is why she is so profitable. And she doesn't work a ton of time. And she has an amazing team. And she is still traveling the world doing what she wants when she wants. So if you want to make a living blogging or you want to step up your blog, maybe it's a side hustle now and you want to step it up a little bit, then you are going to love this podcast episode with my friend Alex. Before we get into the interview, make sure you screen grab this episode if you are listening to it on your phone and share it on Instagram. I want to share it on my Insta story. So tag me at Christina all day and let me know where you're listening from. Um, If you're driving in the car right now, I don't recommend that you do this. I listen to podcasts in the car, so don't do that. Um, no screen grabbing and Insta storing while you're driving, please. But maybe you're on your walk. Maybe you're doing your makeup. I also listen to podcasts when I'm doing my makeup. Whatever you're doing, let me know where you are listening from so I can share it on my stories too. And I am at Christina all day. And here is my girl, my travel fashion girl, Alex. Ever wonder how some people seem to get a ton of media coverage and you don't? Welcome to Become a Media Maven, where TV reporter, host, and news contributor Christina Nicholson shares years of media experience to help you get the media attention you and your business deserve. And now, to help you master your media coverage, Christina Nicholson. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on the Become a Media Maven podcast. Thank you for having me, Christina. I love you and I love your podcast. I'm really honored to be a part of it today. I love you and everything that you do. And I feel like I tell you all the time that I want to be just like you when I grow up because you have the most fun job. And I have to tell you, I was actually thinking of you this morning because I am packing a suitcase to go somewhere. And I don't think I will ever for the rest of my life pack another suitcase and not think of you. (laughs) Would you like to tell everybody listening why I said something as crazy as that? (laughs) Well, um, my job is to teach women how to travel carry-on only for any destination in the world. So I think that's a big part of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's pretty much the main part of it. Um, And you kind of got started by accident because you were traveling the world and you were practicing what you were preaching, but you weren't yet preaching it. So you said, hey, let me preach this, right? 
Yeah, I was actually on a, um, I took a sabbatical off of off of corporate work um, back in 2008, a three-month sabbatical that turned into almost a decade of traveling full-time, long-term. And halfway through that journey, I was really tired of carrying a bunch of stuff that I didn't need and carrying a big, heavy bag while I was traveling because you're getting up, you're moving, you're going somewhere else. And the luggage, if you know, an oversized bag really is a literal drag. So I wanted to learn how to travel lighter. And I would see particularly male travelers back then traveling very light and they look so free. And I wanted to learn how to pack like them. And when I looked online for packing tips for women, it really didn't seem, I didn't find anything. And the packing tips that I did find seemed to be geared towards men, like pack convertible pants, quick dry tees, and you know, three pairs of underwear you flip inside out. And that really doesn't work for me. And I'm a girl. And while I don't want to carry a bunch of frivolous things, I wanted to be practical, but also be true to my style. So I researched, asked questions. Um, interviewed other travelers and backpackers. I met at hostels um, where, as I was traveling and found out it was a problem and girls struggled with packing and they weren't happy with their packing choices. So I knew I had to report my findings. And in August 2012, after a year of research, I launched Travel Fashion Girl. And Travel Fashion Girl is kind of a big deal because you get a million visitors a month, right? Just about. We're at the 950-something thousand monthly visitors, and it would be awesome to finally get to that million. But yes, it's it's actually one of the most highest, um, one of the highest trafficked or the second highest trafficked um, travel blog in the world. And it is, I'm very grateful to have such a, um, a well-received topic online. And obviously, it took a while for you to get all of that traffic. It took some strategy. Um, but before I have you tell us about how you got it, I want to talk about like the first time we met, which was when we both joined um, a mastermind together, Pat Flynn's um, accelerator program. And you told me, oh, yeah, I make money, you know, by blogging. And I always just assume that when people make money blogging, it's through sponsored posts with brands because you have tons of traffic to your site. And I was like, oh, okay, very cool. So like, how do, what brands do you work with? What do you do? And you go, no, I don't do brands. I don't do sponsored posts. And you're making all this money blogging. And I was like, so how do you make money if you don't do sponsored posts? And you go, oh, I have ads. And I was so confused and I didn't understand a word you were saying. And I was like, clearly Alex is not understanding the question I'm asking her because she's not answering it. That makes any sense to me. But it was actually um, me who had no idea what you were talking about. So tell everybody how you make money with your blog that has insane traffic and then let's reverse engineer it because working with brands can be annoying and we'll get on that too. So first, tell us how you make money um, through ads. Well, I will say that in the very beginning, when I first started, I was doing sponsored posts and I actually didn't stop completely working with brands until about a year ago. And I'll explain why in a moment, but it, one of the easiest ways actually, and the fastest ways to start earning money as a blogger when you're first starting out is to work with brands. So I don't want to completely discount that. Um, that option. And what another thing I was doing before is I was also spelling, selling sponsored posts um, to brands that wanted to increase their links for SEO, which is actually against um, Google's terms um, and conditions. So I stopped doing that. That was the first thing I stopped doing um, back in 2013. So at that point, 
um, when I started my blog, I was writing a lot about products and I was talking, um, I was giving recommendations. And when I was doing that, I wasn't really linking to anything or outside sites. And I started getting emails from people saying, can you provide a link to that hotel? Or can you provide a link to your favorite travel insurance? Or can you provide a link to that um, dress that you recommended that's your favorite travel dress? And at that point, I didn't know that I could actually earn money from these links. The readers um, obviously were asking me for this, so I just started um, putting them inside the content. And six months into my blogging journey, one of my mentors, and I really think it's important to have a mentor if you can find one, my mentor at the time said, do you know you can put affiliate links in those products? And the affiliate links, you get a small commission earning anywhere from 1% to 20% at the highest, but an average of probably more, more realistically like 7% from purchases. And it doesn't increase the price to the buyer, but you get a commission as a referral. So you're kind of like, um, a middleman. So I started doing that. And as my website grew and my audience grew, then I started earning a substantial amount of money through affiliate revenue then fast forward through five years down the line, I decided to, as an entrepreneur, to focus my time, well, as an entrepreneur and as an overwhelmed, stressed out blogger, because I think a lot of people see a blog and don't realize that to make it happen, to publish a post, to write a post, to research it, to make sure it looks good, to make sure you're adding SEO, to do you know pictures, blah, blah, blah. It takes days on end and it's so much work. So I was overworked and really stressed out. And I decided, well, what's the 80-20 rule? Where am I earning the most, um, you know, 80% of the money and where's the 20%? And the 20% ended up working with brands. So I decided to eliminate that, even though I was going to be giving up um, revenue from my business, but I knew that the stress level was going to be less, it was going to be much less stress for me. And I could focus more so on the the types of revenue that was uh, that was larger, which for me is um, affiliates. And um, in doing so, that really helped to propel my business, and I was able to get to the next level. And that's kind of how the journey, you know, my journey with how to make money blogging has really evolved. And I also have e-products now. I have my own um, my own brands, my own physical products. But it really is, especially when you're testing out, it's not putting all your eggs in in one basket. You're trying out six, ten different things, really spreading your bets and trying to do just one thing at a time. And then kind of when you see the things that are paying off, then doing more of that and being very strategic with your time. Okay, so you covered a couple of ways to make money. You can work with brands, you can use affiliate links, but brands don't want to work with you and affiliate links are not going to give you commission if you don't have traffic. And you were really, really good at getting traffic from the beginning. Yes, that is one of the biggest things. And a lot of people kind of give up on affiliate income because uh, you have to have a lot of traffic and that is it is true. That is the case. Just as with anything, um, it is easier to work with brands when you're first starting out. I'm going to just give that tip right there. Um, but I built my traffic from day one by using SEO. I was optimizing my, all my blog posts and I I have 2000 blog posts on my site. 
So I was using a keyword. I was optimizing each and every one. And this has been going on for six years. So over time, the blog posts have had um, their evergreen. So they've increased in getting traffic. And um, because I have so many posts, it really multiplies the amount of traffic that comes my way. So that's how I got to almost a million monthly visitors right now. It didn't start off this way, but by implementing SEO from day one, that was very helpful. And unlike, I've always kind of taken SEO, but also applied the strategies that worked for me. And as opposed to doing what everybody was recommending in 2012, which was writing articles based on things that were popular for SEO, I decided to do what I call reverse SEO, which now in currently is now the recommended way to do SEO. But I was doing my reverse SEO from day one, which is essentially writing an article, then researching the most relevant keywords. So that way you're writing articles that are organic, that are really genuine things that you want to write for your audience, things that are going to help them. However, using SEO to reach more people, because what's the point of for me to write an article if I can't reach people, if I can't help people, that's my goal. So SEO has allowed me to reach more people, consequently helping them, but in turn also creating a bigger business. And then one revenue stream I didn't talk about, which is new for me, is ads. Um, ad, ads and sidebar. And when I'm talking about ads, I mean sidebar banners, all those banners that you're seeing all over people's websites right now. Six years ago, that wasn't popular. Brands didn't weren't doing it. People weren't respond, responding to it. And then in the past couple of years, ad networks like Mediavine and AdThrive have made it more popular amongst bloggers. So now people are doing it. And this is becoming a more prevalent thing with websites. So I decided to give it a try myself with, with my traffic. I was able to go, um, to sign up with ad thrive, which I think you need like a hundred thousand page views or visitors a month to qualify for that. And that really made a huge impact on my business. That was a major revenue stream. And really that I consider to be one of the purest forms of, um, passive income because now that the groundwork has been laid down and I've used SEO to get traffic, now that, that traffic can earn money without me actually doing anything by having the ads. So that's something I wish I would have been doing since day one, but you know, you always evolve and you have to just keep trying and keep looking at new options for your business. Because if you keep using the same business model, continuously over the years, then it's become, it's going to become stagnant and you really have to adapt and evolve your strategies as the times change as well. And you are very strategic. Like I love when we have our mastermind meetings and I love hearing you talk about your goals and your plan of action. And you are very, very strategic. I had Cassidy who is also in um, the same mastermind. I had her on the show um, in episode 15 and she talked about increasing traffic and you guys are both like geniuses, but I want you to take me through your process. Um, like what you did, um, when you started out the reverse SEO, tell me how often you're posting and what goes behind a post. Like think of one post and give me an example of how you go through this step by step. And then I'm assuming you just wash, rinse and repeat. For example, I'm trying to think of one example. There's like a million topics I could choose, but I'm just going to um, use a topic that I wrote about once on another travel blog. And I, it was about 
I'm a scuba diver. So it was about my favorite scuba diving sites in Honduras, Utila. And so I wrote this article based on my own experience. It was something I wanted to write about. And I went then to, at that point it was, I forgot what it's called now, but now I would go to Google, for example, type in scuba diving in Otilla or the best scuba diving in Otilla and look to see what topics are coming out, what people are asking, what phrases they're asking. And I use a, um, what is it, a Chrome extension called Keywords Everywhere. And that, when you put that in, it gives you a number that goes in, that's pretty much, it shows a number for when you type something in on Google. And it that number essentially gives you an estimate. It's not 100% accurate, but it's an estimate on how many people are searching for that particular topic a month. So let's say I would type in best scuba diving sites in Utila. Maybe it would tell me that like 50 people were looking for it. Or so I would try to phrase something to use a different phrase like um, Utila scuba diving sites. And that might have 100 people searching for it a month. So in that case, I would choose the wording that would be that would be more popular for more people, in this case, a keyword. And that's really in the most basic the most basic way to do SEO research if you don't want to get into advanced stuff like using hrefs and getting really pretty um, deep into it. I really enjoy SEO, so I really like it. But using keywords um, everywhere, to the extension on Chrome, that's an easiest way to just kind of see what's better. And then from there, I go and then input this keyword into my URL, into the title and the subject line, sprinkle it in, and now um, also sprinkle in the variations of that keyword um, throughout the content as well, like scuba diving sites, Utila, um, the best scuba diving sites in Honduras, um, Utila dive sites, Utila scuba diving sites. So using a variety of that wording in one article. So I'm not writing for Google, I'm writing for my audience. And from there, I'm using Google's tools, which um, using SEO to help to help me reach more people. So that's kind of my strategy. But in addition to doing SEO, a big part of it was also social media. It was going on social media and having conversations with people. And I started in a very, I call it like guerrilla marketing. I was on Twitter. I was looking at people having conversations about travel. If they were asking a question, I'd go answer it and, and give them, hey, you know, here's my tips. And you can also go back to my blog to learn more about it. So I had a lot of these organic conversations. And for me, it really still is about talking to my audience. It really is about answering their questions because above all, if I'm not helping them and I'm not giving them value, then I'm not doing my job. And that's my job. And that's why I earn revenue. Okay. I have a question about the keyword research. Um, you find out how many people are searching for something. When and did you, I know you do now, but kind of explain how you take into account the competition, how many results there are for certain topics. Is that something you ignore or is that something you also play, pay close attention to? You know, Christina, in the very beginning, that was a big part of it. I used to use SEO Moz. Um, well, actually, now it's Moz, but SEO Moz to look at the difficulty. And that was a big part of my strategy in the beginning. And that was a way that I did rank. Now, I don't really do it as much because, well, for various reasons, time. So I rather I go in and see something that's that makes sense. So if you don't have time to do SEO, you don't want to learn all about it, 
that's the easiest way the way I explained it. But if you want to get more in depth with it, then you could look at difficulty and how and by difficulty, I mean, looking at the other people at the other websites that are ranking on the first page of Google to see if you'd be able to beat them. And there's a million metrics that you can look at and get in depth with this. But again, I don't complicate it. Um, so now, and also to be honest with you, the, I don't think there's a tool as good to, uh, as to what Moz used to offer because Google changed their things over the years and, and whatnot. So I kind of lost faith in the difficulty. Instead, use your best judgment when you go on and let's say I were to search Utila diving sites and the, the results, it was TripAdvisor and the Travel Channel and Travel and Leisure. You know, those are big companies. So how am I going to compete with those big companies? It might be more difficult for me to go up in the to to be able to beat them and to be in the top three of the search results. But if I'm if I'm typing in Utila dive sites and I'm seeing other blogs and maybe forums which aren't as high ranking, then I know that I have a better chance of actually ranking for that keyword. And notice that when I said that the keywords had 50 or 100. That was the thing is I wasn't really obsessed over looking for a higher quantity keyword. My goal was just to have a keyword. It doesn't matter what it was, even if it was 10, 50 people. And then in um, because let's say one of your articles reaches 50 people, but another of your articles reaches 1,000. It, then you have a thousand and fifty people, and the more articles, the more keywords, the more people you can reach. Um, does that answer your question a little yes, bit? Yes, it does. And I feel like too, you're probably at the point now where it doesn't matter what the competition is because you're getting about a million views a month, so you have a high domain authority. Which brings up another part of SEO. I do have a high. I think I have a domain authority now of like fifty nine. And just so you, if if you don't know what a domain authority is, it's essentially the clout that your website has. So when you're starting out, you might have zero. As you have your website a little bit longer, you might get to 20, 30, 40, and so forth. And the way that you increase it is by getting your website shared on social, by um, getting your website shared on Google. So creating really good content that Google wants to feature. But also one important element is having your content shared on other blogs and other websites, being a guest author. So people are saying, you know, it's Alexandra Jimenez from Travel Fashion Girl and then getting links to Travel Fashion Girl, getting links to specific blog pages. And it's every single time someone links to you, it's kind of like you're telling Google or you're, it's, it's sort of reassuring Google that you're a good website because if nobody's linking to you, then it means people don't trust you. But if like a hundred or a thousand websites are linking to you, it means that you're a good website. People trust you. People recommend you. So that's how you get clout. Um, and that's how you build domain authority. And that for me has been something that again has been building over the years. But the stronger your domain authority, that also helps you have a better chance of moving up in the rankings. So in a technical point of view, if you really wanted to analyze everything, there's tools that you can use to analyze the domain authority for all the websites ranking on Google's front page. And that way you could determine, well, if you have a 24 domain authority and everybody else has a 45 domain authority, then you might not be able to rank higher than them. 
But there's also other elements, how many shares you have, how long your article is, how in-depth your article is. Because nowadays, you don't want to just rank for one keyword on your article. You want to focus on one, but then incorporate a variety of keywords as related to your topic. And that's why I really like the Chrome extension that I mentioned, Keywords Everywhere, because it gives you an easy way to see related words, related topics, and that way you can incorporate them into your content and make sure that you're covering the different topics. It also helps me build the outline of my article as well. So if your focus is creating valuable content that really gives people and um, that really gives people value and answers their questions and explains a topic thoroughly, then by focusing on that, that's what's going to help to propel you to the top of the rankings more than the data and the analysis. Over time, that's what's going to help. If you just focus on on that, think about it as if you're writing, if you look at Wikipedia, it has an intro, a general summary, then it breaks it down, then it goes in, te- in depth. That's the kind of thing you want to think about. How can I be as helpful as a Wikipedia article? Love it. And I want to ask you one more question before we go over to brands, because I always tell people when I talk about you or I talk about Cassidy, I'm like, they are so niche. Like yours is traveling with a carry-on. And a lot of people would think, oh gosh, you could only write so many things about that. And it's funny because I said, give me an example of a blog post. And you're like, oh my gosh, there's thousands. How do I pick one? Do you think that being so niched has helped you be so successful. I mean, like I asked you to give me an example and it wasn't just scuba diving. It was scuba diving in a specific area. So talk about how you keep on niching down and niching down and niching down and what that's done for you. A hundred percent. And I always tell new entrepreneurs, you know, would you rather be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? And that's how I feel that the majority of people come into this. Oh, well, she's teaching people how to do X or he's teaching people how to do X. I can do that too. And that's how I started. I started a really general travel blog, just talking about my travels. Well, that's great and all, but I wasn't different than anybody else. So, and uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't passionate about that general topic either, but there was one specific topic that I was passionate about and it was talking about packing. So if you have an idea about something you want to do, think about your target audience. Who are you targeting and how can you speak to them? How can you reach them? I was just speaking to someone the other day. Um, I do mentorship with bloggers and she said that she had, I asked her her target audience and she said, well, it's everybody. I want to reach, you know, luxury travelers over the age of 50 and in, um, okay. And I said, okay, well that's fine. But what do they do for a living? Where are they located? And then she said everywhere, but I said, no, if you could speak to someone in your language, in one language, what country, what state are they in? So even though you you want to reach everybody, but you have to speak to someone and kind of as if they were your friend and, and try to really understand that person, that persona, how old are they? What do they do? What do they do for fun? How do they like to talk? Do they appreciate a more, um, a very eloquent sort of um, eloquent writing or do they like a more something more fun and just really informal and that's what I do everything everything about what we do the core values how we write how we speak to our readers things that we don't write about I have really specific guidelines about things that we do not talk about words that we use phrases that we use and it's really understanding your the person you're th- you're trying to talk to um, so understanding that 
and knowing your niche and trying to choose a niche. Yeah, I could talk about travel, but what about traveling? Obviously, I chose carry-on travel, but you can talk about one destination, one city. I mean, you could do that in Los, I mean, I'm from Los Angeles and yeah, you can have a travel blog about Los Angeles, but how about having a travel blog about Glendale within Los Angeles, you know, or Highland Park talking about all the restaurants, going to every single thing, interviewing the different, um, new business owners, talking about the events. There's a million ways. And once you have a niche and you understand that you can really hone in and focus and you become that go-to person, you become the expert. That's very powerful. So I decided I wanted to be a big fish in a small pond and talk to and just speak to one aspect of the travel industry. I don't talk to men. I talk to women. I talk to women. Well, my I'm I'm American, so the way I speak to someone, the concepts that I understand are from American culture, from this point of view. But so when I speak, I also in my um, in my business, I'm targeting that audience. But I do have an audience um, all around the world. But everything you do, if you cater it, you know it. You're an expert in your topic. You know it. So if I ask you a question, you could just talk to me about it. That's very powerful. So please try to niche down, no matter what you do. How specific can you get? I love that. I just did a YouTube video on that because I think it's so important and it's something that I have to constantly remind myself to do too. Okay. Let's talk about working with brands, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's wrap up with brands because, um, I'm nowhere near the kind of blogger you are and I've worked with brands and I think it is, and you tell me your experience. I think on my end, it's quick, easy money, but there are some people that you work with sometimes and you're like, oh my God, this is not as quick and easy as I thought it was going to be. Working with brands is more, is more involved and it's not for me. It's not my favorite. It's not my favorite thing. And the aspect and what I've found to be the, the downfall is that they have a lot of expectations, but they don't value what you have to offer them. So let's say, you know, I remember in the beginning I had a hundred thousand monthly visitors and that's pretty good, but I was just two years old, you know, I was two years into it. So I didn't know the value of that quantity of that, sorry, of that number. And somebody said, well, I'm going to send you a bag, but I want you to pay shipping and I want you to give me a review and, and share and share the social share of this information on social. And the bag was probably $56. She had a 50, $56 version and a hundred dollar version. And she wanted to send me the cheapest version and make me pay shipping and make me work for her. So in the beginning, 2012, 2013 brands didn't really weren't very knowledgeable about how to work with bloggers and didn't see the value. Currently, they are more interested and they can see more of the value and they are paying more. They now have a blogger budget. So there's a big opportunity to work with brands, but they always try to kind of my, in my experience, they really, I almost felt taken advantage of because I have this, you know, I have these many followers, the followers that they don't have, the followers that I actually worked really hard to build, the following that I've protected to build a loyal audience. And I don't just, I don't want to just hand that out to everybody, you know, or just promote all these products. And on top of that, bend over backwards for, um, 
for a small wage, essentially. You know, they want access to my audience that I've worked hard to build. They should pay for that. Just as if they were in traditional advertising, you know, if they were running an ad, if they were putting a billboard ad or, you, you know, when people watch television, writing a, running, a, running a commercial, you know, they'd have to pay for impressions and they pay a lot of money for just random impressions that they don't know who they're reaching, if it's relevant or anything. Whereas with bloggers, there's an opportunity for brands who reach their very specific audience, the people that actually you can niche down with influencers, but they don't want to pay for that. And remember, you're not paying for an influencer to take a picture for you. You're not paying for an influencer to write a review. You're paying for an influencer. Well, most importantly, you're paying for their audience and that's shouldn't be taken lightly but you're also paying for their work you're paying for them to be a photographer you're paying for them to be a model you're paying them to be a writer to be an editor to also be a social media manager and if they were paying for those for every hat for every person that encompasses the for the role that a blogger does then they would be paying a lot of money and it's it was very frustrating for me to work with brands that I felt were trying to penny pinch me and even after we've had we have we had a relationship for a couple of years and they still didn't understand the value after they'd worked with me and they got sales they still were trying to push me until the end it was one particular brand that I'm thinking about but she was so hard to work with and she just would push me and you know really try to squeeze me i just said you know i'm sorry i'm no longer working with brands it was that stress that it caused it's just, and, and, and you might have a better experience working with sponsors sometimes because they might not ask you for a lot. So my best advice when working with brands and sponsors is that you have a very streamlined, um, you have a very streamlined package. If you work with a sponsor, there's you know package A, which gives them this, this, and this. But when you're offering that, also think about how many hours you're putting in. So for someone writing an article might take them an hour, so they might not, they may not need to charge a lot. Whereas for maybe to take an, a, a picture. Maybe that takes a lot more time versus just an hour writing an article. So you might want to charge more for that or create a package to encompass all that. So know your hours, know your value. Um, I would say, you know, be fair as well. When you're first starting out, you kind of have to create a portfolio. So you might want to try to work, do some free work. So that way you can build a resume and show proof why brands should work with you. You've got to show them. You also don't really, you've got to think about that as a blogger, but from a brand perspective, you have to understand, well, what value can this blogger bring to me? What should I ask of them? Is an Instagram picture really going to bring me money or what other aspect of their business? How can I reach their audience in a, in a very strategic and, um, monetary beneficial way? I love that. All good things. Could not agree with you more on everything you just said. Um, I'm obviously going to link to, to Traven, Travel Fashion Girl in the comments, or not the comments, in the description. Um, and then I want you to quickly tell us about Compass Rose. So I've been wanting to launch a um, travel product line for many years. It Finally, I got there and I was able to launch a small product line. It's called Compass Rose Travel Accessories. And the main anchor product um, is it's my packing cubes because they're something that not only helped me travel carry on only, but they've helped over 20 million of my readers travel carry on only. So I took a product that I really loved and truly believed in and, and I 
I think I made it better. I added some organization. So I have my um, carry-on packing cubes that are a big part of Compass Rose. I also have other items like a travel adapter and a secret bra wallet for um, anti-theft protection. So that's something I'm very excited about. Um, and that's also a way that I'm diversifying my business as well. I so, love that. Love that. I'll link, uh, link to that in the description too. And then finally, I feel like I didn't know this, but you mentioned that you mentor other bloggers. I do. And I tried to very mistakenly start a business a couple of years ago on how to make money blogging. I was shiny object syndrome. And then I went off to try to start a whole new business for some reason. Um, and instead of focusing really on my passion and what was the website and travel fashion girl, which is what brings me joy and what actually where I have my existing audience. So I tried that. I didn't like it, but I did want to help people. And I just didn't want to charge people. I didn't want to make money from how to teach people how to blog. And another, um, it just wasn't for me. It might be right for other people, but it really wasn't what made me feel happy. So, but in the very beginning, I mentioned that I had a mentor when I had a blog for six months and I couldn't pay him at that point. He just did it to help me because he believed in what I was doing and he wanted to help me grow. So I asked him, well, how can I pay you back for this? This is amazing how you've been just given me your time. You've helped me. And he said to pay it forward. So I really believe in paying it forward. There was a lot of people that helped me in doing collaborations in the beginning and to help. And I really am grateful for that. So I want to give back to other bloggers. So there's one person that I've been mentoring for over a year, it, just someone that I really resonated with and I believed in what she was doing as well. So I give her my time. And then I'm also, um, I work a lot voluntarily um, or as a volunteer, I suppose, volunteer my time with the women um, with it's a company called wonderful they do a conference called the women in travel summit and they do different events so they also now have a um, some a, a sub thing called the creator collective where they teach bloggers how to obviously um, about how to monetize and how to turn their blogs into businesses so I'm also a coach there as well so it's just me paying forward me wanting to help others but I don't want to do it for a living and it's not an offering that I have just for the record <laughs> okay so nobody contact Alex and tell her please be my mentor and teach me everything you know just listen to this podcast again and do what she says okay people sorry I just like I don't know I just don't want to make money off of it I just want to help people but you know like a little bit here and there, pay forward, but I don't want to do it for a living. <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. Well, I will link to all of this amazingness in the show notes. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Christina, for having me. I really appreciate being on your show. I'm a big fan, and I hope that I was able to give some useful advice. Thanks again. You definitely were. And now the rest of us, me and the rest of us listening, will never, ever pack a suitcase without thinking of you. <laughs> I hope not. Travel fashion girl. There you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you have not already, make sure you screen grab this podcast episode on your phone right now if you're listening on your phone and share it on Instagram, even Twitter. Hey, if you tweet and you don't do the gram, I'm at Christina all day on there too. Let me know what you thought of this episode and the amazing Alex. You can find out more about Alex and TravelFashionGirl.com in the show notes to this episode. So make sure you head over to becomeamediamaven.com and you will get the show notes right there. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. And if you want to leave a rating and review, I would be very, very appreciative. 
So thank you so much for taking a little bit of your day to spend with me and my friend Alex. And I will see you again with another episode of the Become a Media Maven podcast next week.